Good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you all to a special edition of the Future Farmers and Agricultural Specialists uh, podcast. This episode will be dealing with the science of COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the public and community health aspects of it. podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University's College of Agriculture, Environment, and Nutrition Sciences, Tuskegee University Cooperative Extension Program, and Anchor FM. We're currently available on many platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and Radio Public. Uh, our special guest today is attorney Crystal James, uh, who actually heads the public health department here at Tuskegee University. Um, at this time, I'll let Attorney James introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. Attorney James? To give you a little bit of background, I'm actually a Southern girl born in Broxton, Georgia. That's rural Georgia. Um, I received my Bachelor of Science degree in biology from Clark Atlanta University, a master's degree from Rollins School of Public Health at Emory with a focus on environmental and occupational health and my Juris Doctorate or Law degree from the University of Houston and became barred to practice law in the state of Georgia. All of that by the age of 26. And so I did a lot of educating early and really looked at opportunities to where I could blend my science, law and policy background together. My, very, my first real opportunity to do that came in um, 2000 when I started to work for the Council of State and Territory Epidemiologist. Now, for people who don't know what that is, that is the organization of all state-based epidemiologists. And I was actually working for them when 9-11 happened. So I got an opportunity very early in my career to really look at how public health and emergency management kind of merged together. So in that role, I managed not only the day-to-day facets of some of the programmatic activities that were supported by the CDC, which included data analysis and indicator development, but also got an opportunity to um, supervise cross-functional teams and um, professional public health staff that um, evaluated legal decisions for impact on state-based programs. So some of the conversation that we see in the media today regarding state powers over federal powers when it comes to um, regulating for the benefit of the health of individuals is a lot of the work that I did early on. I also, later in my career, around 2008, had an opportunity to work at the um, Interdenominational Theological Center um, in the Institute for Faith Health Leadership under the guidance of Dr. Ruben Warren, who's now also with us here at Tuskegee University as the director of the Bioethics Center. But I was, I was the pandemic influenza and emergency preparedness coordinator at um, ITC. And so I maintain accountability for directing and planning the um, management of ITC's pandemic influenza preparedness activities, because that's when pan flu was a really hot issue. And a lot of strategies around doing tabletop exercises and how do we get communities compared, prepared, especially Black communities and the Black church. 
So we spearheaded the um, successful integration of um, public education materials and awareness programs um, across Atlanta University Center schools, but also did some of that training inside of some of the largest churches um, around the country. So in my roles at the, as the head of the Department of Graduate Public Health, I also teach courses such as Introduction to Environmental Health Sciences, Public Health Administration, Policy and Law, as well as leadership and emergency management, which are all very relevant to the conversation we're having here today. The first thing that I would like to ask you is just to give uh, our, our, our listeners a general introduction into what is COVID-19. Okay, so as we all know, CDC is responding to an outbreak of respiratory disease caused by a novel, which means new, coronavirus that was first detected in China and which has now been designated as a pandemic because it is widespread in many different countries internationally, including the United States. Coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that are common in people and many different species of animals, including camels, cattle, bats, and cats. Rarely, these animal coronaviruses are zoonotic, which means they simply can affect people too, and they spread between people such, and we've had um, instances of this um, in the recent past, such as MERS-CoV, SARS-CoV, and now with this new virus named SARS-CoV-2, which causes the COVID-19 disease. Um, And it has been... um, it is called that because it's, the name is Coronavirus Disease 2019, and the abbreviation is COVID-19. And so that's how we get to COVID-19, but it is a SARS family coronavirus that um, is actually caused the huge outbreak and pandemic that the world is experiencing right now today. So I'd like to ask, how much does public health, either academically or with respect to the role that it plays in Uh, government and communities, how does it play a critical role to this and other crises? Okay, well, public health plays a role in this pandemic, I'm sorry, mainly due to the community spread, which means some people have been infected and it's not known how or where they became exposed. When we first started to hear about the disease, it was postulated that it required direct physical contact with someone who had been to or recently resided in Wuhan, China. But because of the communicable nature of the spread of disease, And the disease basic um, mitigation efforts from the public health workforce became more essential. These methods that epidemiologists and other public health professionals typically typically deploy, such as contact tracing, which is widely used in the HIV AIDS epidemic. And it's also commonly used for other sexually transmitted illnesses and foodborne illnesses as well. Um, what is more publicized at this time, and as we become even, will become even more so as the emergency situation continues to unfold, are the skills that public health professionals have in collecting and analysis of population-based data. Now, how... Um, you're seeing that data on nightly news cycle, which is in basic numbers of persons tested, positive cases, deaths, and recovery, are validated and republished will largely be based on people in public health and how they validate that data. And there's a whole process for that. Understanding these strategies and tools commonly used in public health, as well as emergency management skills, such as mitigation, crisis management, leadership and influencing, as well as effective communication are all critically important to handling issues that are um, very clear now in our community through the pandemic. 
if someone were to look at Tuskegee's website or talk to uh, students and or faculty, uh, they would see that uh, public health has a major role to play uh, at the university as there's quite a few professionals uh, with experience in that area. Um, and I have also noticed that our acting president, Dr. Ruby Perry, uh, has taken critical action uh, in response. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the university's response as a whole to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Well, it was, um, it was, we were very lucky that having acting president um, Perry be in her position at this time um, as a veterinarian herself, she's very much aware of the One Health concept or the One Health strategy that we um, um spend a lot of time talking about in the College of Veterinary Medicine, and that is the interaction between animal health, human health, and the environment, and how um, diseases such as this virus can um, have some very detrimental effects if they are not contained. And so her background experience um, led us to start very early, and I think earlier than many um, institutions of our kind did, way back in um, in February, before people, it started to become a panic, we had already start to have conversations even in um, late January about what the flu um, precautions should be on our campus. By May, by March 3rd, the Community Health Task Force um, have been established by the acting president. And we had really started to think about what do we need to do to keep our campus safe, as well as to make sure that we are good citizens in the community at large. And so I think the university has been um, proactive from the very beginning in making sure that we look at how not only how do we manage our students on campus and during the break period of um, spring break, but what are our um, choices for our our faculty and our staff. We have the um, the pleasure and distinction of having some Falcon and staff that have been with us for quite some time, but also many of them um, fall into those vulnerable categories that have been um, well publicized through the CDC's website because of their age or some underlying health issues that they may have experienced prior to this outbreak. And so we had a task force that were thinking about these things not only administratively how the university should respond, but also how we can make sure that we take care of our human resource as well. In that same vein, and talking about the university's response, um, what, what are some of the primary threats uh, to the campus community uh, regarding community spread? Well, the primary threats that are facing the university are very similar to the community at large and that they um, will be continuing to be persons who are carriers of the disease that are asymptomatic. These persons, if we don't take all universal precautions, may infect countless other people who may not be, who may be vulnerable and have very severe symptoms up to and including death. Um, Acting President has just instituted the Public Health Advisory Count Committee, which I co-lead with Dr. Ruben Warren, to assist the Office of the President, which includes her cabinet, to develop strategies and action plans as we move into the next phase of emergency management out of mitigation into the preparedness for summer and fall activities on the campus. And so we are um, continually being involved not only in committees on campus, but I have um, been designated by the president to serve in her 
place when she could not attend. And many times she has attended on her own in many of these same types of committees that are happening in the Macon County and in the city of Tuskegee. We have been very active in their response community um, committees as well to ensure that we are coordinated and what's going on with the the local education department with K through 12, as well as the local um, first responders. And so these primary threats that um, we have, because we do have students that are coming in from all over the all over the United States and from many different countries. And we do have programs where they have travel abroad programs where some of them may have been exposed. So we definitely know that those types of things will have to be limited in the um, short term future. And we're looking at how we can continue to be a resource to the community at large in which we sit. In, in, in times when we sometimes hear a lot of criticism about the town-gown relationship, uh, it's been clearly demonstrated uh, by the Tuskegee community and the university uh, that in these uh, challenging times, uh, we are definitely one. Uh, we appreciate you all's work. Um, another question I, I would like to ask is for, for people who may think uh, that they've been exposed to COVID-19 or think that they may have some symptoms. Uh, what what should their should their plan of action be? Are you talking about um, on the university or campus or in Macon County at large? I would say say both. Can you start with the university and and then speak to the larger community? Okay, so um, the um, community health task force did um, a lot of work in initially to, to to establish some protocols for our students who may be exhibiting cold or flu symptoms. Um, they there's they should contact student health services immediately, um, and they all have that number and information. Um, they should call them first, and they will be triaged over the phone and given instructions about um, and given a specific time they can come in for further assistance so that they're not um, in the waiting room. Caught, um, possibly um, contaminating other um, individuals who might be there for different services. They will be provided a mask as soon as they've arrived to Student Health Services to proceed with their evaluation. And the health services will contact Alabama Department of Health for further instructions um, once they have been triaged at our health um, services center on campus. So if a student is exhibiting a 100 degree temperature or higher, or shortness of breath, or difficulty breathing, they um, they should call East Alabama or Auburn Alpalaca Medical Center, and we provide the number for them too for, um, for further direction because we do not have a doctor on staff all the time at Student Health Services. If they are already um, exhibiting these types of symptoms, then they should be looking to get to some hospital services. Um, for employees, we have a very similar type of um, protocol that we've established to put in place. Um, first of all, if you are feeling like you have these symptoms and you have not reported to work, and this was before we actually moved to a um, to comply with the governor's stay-at-home policy, but once we actually do start to come back on campus, you should first of all... Um, not come in. Um, let your supervisor know that you are feeling ill. Um, and if you if your symptoms are severe enough to be granted a test, then you should definitely notify your supervisor and then self-quarantine for at least 14 days or until you're released back to work by a physician. Um, if that person have, have been in areas with other um, employees, then that unit um, will be um, 
advice that they should also be tested and um, proper sanitizing uh, procedures will be taking place by facilities to ensure that the workspace has been sanitized before the rest employees are able to go back into that immediate area where the um, person, if they are um, deemed to be positive, have been sitting. And they, there is a list of um, a chain of command of their unit um, employees that will be contacted once that um, immediate supervisor learns of the positive test, then they would um, alert their supervisors as well so that we can, again, engage all those different pieces um, on our campus through facilities and emergency management to secure not only the area, but the building, ensure that it's properly sanitized and no further spread, um, potential spread could be um, eliminated. So in the community at large, um, the same type of thing, it definitely applies. If you are feeling ill, if you think that you um, are having flu-like symptoms, you should definitely call your healthcare provider. Um, I know that there is a fairly qualified health center in Macon County that is um, currently doing testing. And so they should call that entity and let them um, know it what their symptoms are and be um, given an opportunity or a time that they could come in for testing if their symptoms and underlying conditions um, meet the protocols for testing. There's been a lot of talk about uh, the racial disparity and actually who is uh, dying from uh, the pandemic. Um, and people have spoke a lot to uh, black and brown communities. Uh, suffering a lot more. Could you please enlighten us a little bit more about that? Well, um, what I can share with you, and we're actually going to have uh, um, some experts that are much better at data analysis than uh, myself in a, um, a community town hall meeting that we're going to have host via Zoom later this afternoon at six o'clock. So um, definitely um, feel free to join us for that. But the the main issue is that because health disparities that we ha um, have are well documented in the United States, tend to impact communities of color much more. The underlying illnesses that tend to cause more severe illness are more prevalent in our communities, in black and brown communities. So we tend to have more diabetes and hypertension and um, heart disease, lung disease, those things that with this particular virus actually will make you more likely to have a severe um, symptoms and more actually more likely lead to death. And so that's what we're seeing play out with this, um, with the dramatic numbers you see in places like Chicago and um, in New Orleans, where you have over 70% of the positive cases have resulted in death in the black community. It is um, another um, part of that data. And one of the things we plan to unpack this afternoon is also the fact that not many people in the African-American community have been tested so that it looks way more exasperated in some points because many people are being turned away for testing. Um, I have a good friend who is a first responder as a police officer and was actually known that someone in his this um, office was positive. And he was initially denied for testing. And so because a lot, a lot, we don't have enough baseline tests, the people that are usually getting tests are, once, are, are severely ill. 
And unfortunately, because many people in the Black community also have a lot of these comorbidities or these underlying illnesses that make them more susceptible to to the severe symptoms, that's why we're seeing a over um, abundance of deaths or, or excess deaths, if you will, in the Black community. Thank you so much, Attorney James. Uh, I would like to thank you uh, not just for participating with us here today, but for your leadership during these challenging times. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to leave with the audience uh, before we sign out? Well, the the only thing that I would like to add is that um, as a university community, we have a lot of... um, talented people that are lending their skills to this fight. Um, I have the um, pleasure of being able to have a leadership role in some of these um, spaces, but I do just want to share here that even though I am working hard on this every day, there are a lot of people at the university that are working hard and thinking about what can we do to not only make sure that we protect um, the campus, but we are good we are also good um, community members in the community at large. And so we are um, consistently trying to strategize with our um, local health department, as well as with the Alabama Department of Public Health, to see how we as a university can be um, of assistance in this fight, um, because it is a fight and it is one that is going to continue on. I would also um, caution all Folks in our in the black community, especially, is if you know that you have some of these underlying illnesses that we mentioned earlier, and you know this push that people want to go back to work, and I understand it. Um, that you know, food, shelter, and cold clothing are basic necessities, and when you're out of work, there is um, a stretch. But your your life is very much um, at risk if you rush back into an um, space where you could be exposed to this illness. So if you can stay home, stay home. And I know it's difficult um, to, if you're used to being active and being out, um, the one thing I say, you can walk around in your community, you can exercise, you can sit out on your porch. It's not like you got to sit in a dark room by yourself. Um, you, but, but you do want to make sure that you're social distancing. And with that, we want to make sure that we're not social isolating. You know, some people that may be living alone, may be um, widowed or divorced or just um, unmarried, and they are by themselves, we need to check on each other and check in with each other, even if it's a wave on the porch, um, just to have some connection. Because the other thing that is um, very serious, um, I want to say side effect of this, of this order to stay home is that we now have a lot more um, mental health issues that people um, are dealing with and depression and also the anxiety of constantly seeing all the bad news that we see um, regarding the deaths, especially deaths in our communities. So I just want to let people know that there are opportunities that through telemedicine that you can reach out to a, a mental health provider. There are opportunities um, through some of our churches and other um, local groups to engage in an online platform or even in just a column tree. Any of those opportunities that you can use to try to help out those people who may be more vulnerable, helping them to get their groceries, other things that they do so they don't have to be out and be um, subject to exposure. Those are some of the things that all of us can do.
whether you're in the university or in the community or anywhere to help make sure that we as a community survive this pandemic with the least amount of deaths and severe illness.